Amen. Amen. Okay, so title of this message is Abraham, the father of all. I think I've told y'all before, I don't really title my messages always about what the message is. It's just so I can kind of know where the passage is when I'm looking for uh, uh, this later on. But it's titled Abraham, the father of all. That's what they publish online. Romans 4, 1 through 13, the text says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? Now, now, just to kind of give you a picture, because it's important for where we're going, Paul is writing to the Romans, and he's talking to the Jewish people, people of Jewish faith, even though he's writing to the whole church, and there's Jews and Gentiles together, but he's addressing the Romans because he's addressing a topic about uh, faith being the way uh, that uh, we embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, uh, Romans 4, 1 through 13, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him, or credited to him, for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Now this is a little heavy, so just stay with me and we'll, we'll get through this. Verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are also uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision, to whom those, uh, to who, to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, there's a lot in there. We could spend a lot of time talking about it. We're not really going to talk as much about the context of this scripture as the purpose that Paul was doing and what it's going to bring out for where we want to go with this scripture, but just to kind of give you a little understanding uh, about what's happening here is the Jewish people considered Abraham to be the father of, the, of their covenant. The, uh, the Jewish people came through Abraham. Uh, they considered themselves to be children of Abraham and the sign of their, uh, uh, not just descendants, but the sign of their uh, relationship with Abraham. And also uh, God was, the law was given to the children of Abraham and a, a sign of that law that was imprinted in the flesh was circumcision. And now Paul um, is the apostle to the Gentiles because after Jesus was revealed to him, God sent him to the Gentiles. And the Jewish people had a problem with that because they didn't keep the law. They weren't Jewish. Uh, they weren't circumcised. They had a problem with that. And Paul is going to go back here. And this is kind of, like I said, I just don't want you to read this and, and walk away confused. Paul is going to, uh, go back and he's telling them, look, the scripture, if you read it and read it with eyes 
that God reveals to you, it's in Scripture. Abraham is not just the father of the circumcised. He's the father of the uncircumcised because Abraham wasn't justified uh, by God by circumcision. He was justified by God because he believed God. And whether you're Jewish, you believe God. Whether you're Gentile, you believe God. The bottom line is Abraham is the father of everyone because we have faith in God and what God did. So he is the father of us all. And, um, and so it's not by coming under the law and being circumcised. It is through faith. And so the, 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 the pinnacle of their faith, which is Abraham, um, is actually Paul is using that same premise to say that he's not just the father of of the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And so he's legitimizing through scripture what God had already told him and what he was doing, which is preaching the gospel to the Gentiles who the Jewish people uh, did not consider to be uh, able to come into the covenant unless they became uh, circumcised and Jewish as well. But anyway, that's kind of the context. But now let's get back to what I want to kind of talk about, which is I've talked to you, uh, I didn't talk about it last Wednesday, but in the two previous Wednesdays, I talked about what a worldview was, and I've talked about what a mindset is, and how those can color our perceptions of the world and our understandings of Scripture and what Scripture is really saying. Now, just kind of give you a review. A worldview is a set of presuppositions or assumptions which we hold either consciously or subconsciously about the basic makeup of our world. Most of us do not consciously learn our worldview so much as absorb it from our surrounding society is passed on from generation to generation with minimal change and the assumptions are rarely reviewed or re revised. We assume that the way we understand life is how everybody does or should or understands life and our understanding of the world is the way the world is. Every society has presuppositions. Some are conscious but most are unconscious and we acquire thinking patterns through which we interpret experiences from our parents, the media, art, education, and so on, and our worldview is like a lens. It colors, clarifies, classifies, warps, or partially excludes the world. Now, you don't have to think about all that. You don't have to, that's, I'm just trying to give you a rehash of what we've done before. What I'm basically trying to get you to understand is that we all see life through a lens, and we assume that everybody sees life through the same color lens, and it's not the case, all right? We're Americans. We see life through an American lens. Uh, other Asians will see life through an Asian lens. We, if we happen to be a white congregation, we're white-Hispanic combination, but let's just assume that you're a white congregation, you see life through a white lens. You're an uh, African-American congregation, you see life through an African-American lens. And we all think we're right, uh, but the, what, we don't, we'll, what we don't always realize is that we have lenses. And our lenses are colored by our perceptions of the world by how we grew up, the cultures that we've embraced, the teachings that have been incorporated into our life, and we don't always realize that we have lenses. Are we good there? Okay, then we talked about a mindset. A mindset or a stronghold can keep us from seeing and embracing the powerful living word and transform the way we see and live our lives in Christ. A mindset can be and often is a negative thing uh, where, we're t where we, we have embraced a lie, not the truth of God and the truth of Scripture, but we've replaced a lie, and in that lie we develop a way of thinking that at its core, at its root, is not based on the truth of Scripture, but it's based on a lie. When we're talking about a lie, we're not talking about everything is, is uh, anti 
uh, God, that kind of lie, but you know, uh, you may, uh, you know, uh, people aren't good. That's my experience in life. That's what somebody can say. People aren't good. And so you base your entire life protecting yourself because your premise is that people aren't good. I'm not saying righteousness. I'm just saying there are no good people in the world. Everybody's out there trying to get what's mine. And so you base your whole life around that. Well, that's a mindset. That's a stronghold. And that's an illustration I'm just trying to bring forth. And that can keep you from seeing and embracing the powerful living word that God wants to bring your way and transform the way we see and live our lives in Christ. If you remember, I talked about a, 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 the way you think is compared to a wineskin. An old wineskin is one that is rigid and inflexible. And an old wineskin can be a hindrance to embracing uh, the new wine, which is the, the word of God and the interpretation the spirit would want us to grasp. Luke 5, 37 through 38, no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined, but the new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but there's this phenomenon that people have. If something's too overwhelming, they just shut down, right? And so if you come with a new way of looking at things, or a new way of looking at life, or a new uh, uh, way of looking at Scripture, because that's really what we're going to be looking at tonight is Scripture, but you, you, you have a new way of looking at it that is totally contrary to the way you've looked at it, uh, what we oftentimes want to do is we want to shut down. We don't necessarily shut down physically or emotionally. We just, nah, that ain't right, and we just shut it down. What, um, what happens when we do that is really what's happening is we have an old wineskin that's refusing to stretch, and so we can't embrace some of the things that God wants to teach us and God wants to show us because it's outside of our comfort zone. It's outside of what we know. But what we need to understand, and what I'm trying to get across to you, and what we'll see how, how Paul does this in, well, through Scripture as well, is that in order to grow in Christ, you have to remain flexible. You have to remain open to learn from God, and God teaches us through His Word, teaches us through other people. Uh, it doesn't mean that everything you hear is God, but much of what you hear can be God. But if, you're, but if you think everything you hear is that is different from what you know isn't God, then you're in trouble. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You've got to be open to God revealing things to you that you don't presently know. Now, nobody would say, hey, I already know everything, but we can live life thinking that we know everything. Been in church, done that, bought that T-shirt, right? I know it. I've read the scripture. Oh, you're preaching on Acts 2 and 4? Yeah, I know that. I've heard thousands of scriptures on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, whatever. And so you already kind of know, so it's not that you're not listening to the message, but you may not be listening with the idea that there may be something in there you haven't heard before or a nuance or a way of looking at it that might actually bring great liberty to your life uh, if you would allow it, but because you've already heard it, you kind of shut down. Old mindset. So I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking to believers, but we can get caught in a rut. Anybody here know what a rut is? Right? I'm not talking about hunting and deers. <laughs> I'm talking about uh, they, back when they used to have uh, 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 every, almost everywhere we go, everything's paved. But they used to have roads that weren't, that weren't paved. And uh, when you have these unpaved roads and you had heavy loads, you had a heavy car, if people are on this traffic all the time, it creates ruts. And what happens is when you get on that road, if you want to go off to the right, you want to go off to the left, you're going to find that you're going to get in that rut. 
you're going to get in that channel, you're going to get in that lane without realizing it or not, it automatically, it's like gravity, it gravitates you toward that rut, and that's the way thinking can be sometimes. And so we have to be open to the idea that my lane or the rut that I'm in, because sometimes we get in a rut, may not necessarily be the right way. Maybe something different. Okay, so that, with that being said, then uh, in our text, the reason this, I'm, I'm laying all this groundwork is because I realized in our text that what Paul was doing is he is bringing an understanding of Scripture, not just revelation from God, because he did get a revelation from God, but the revelation he got from God is born out in Scripture, and Paul is talking to Jews and Gentiles, once he wants to reinforce to the Gentiles that yes, your uh, uh, understanding and your uh, uh, salvation is valid, because they were going to church with Jews who were having a struggle with Gentiles coming into the church, and so he's writing to Jews and Gentiles, but his presentation is mainly to the Jewish people who are knowledgeable of God and knowledgeable of the law, knowledgeable of the Old covenant they're knowledgeable of all that but he's taking scripture that they all know and he is bringing out in the scripture a new way of looking at it <laughs> and that's what he's doing then when i read this passage i realized that's exactly what paul is doing what we've been talking about about being open to god revealing new things god showing you things you've read before you know before you've been in church all your life and all of a sudden here comes Paul, and he says, the Gentiles are free to accept the Lord as well. And they come into the church, and the Jews are going, no, it's not what we were taught. It's not how we grew up. It's not what God showed us. It's not this, and it's not that. And they're reacting. And many of them that don't embrace the Lord are reacting violently. violently and many of them that do embrace the Lord are saying, well, the Gentiles, okay, uh, uh, it must be God. They can come in, but they have to become Jews first. That's what they're doing. And Paul is showing them from Scripture why what's happening in their lives is valid. So he's taking the very scripture and he's blowing their minds. He's asking them to stretch and to see something in there that they didn't realize was in there and basically giving them new revelation. Now, when we talk about new revelation, sometimes we think, no, no, if it's not in the Bible, it ain't God. You know, and, and yes, it's, that's true, you know, uh, if, but I would say if it's not biblical it's not true because there are principles in the bible that we're supposed to follow but not everything outside of the bible necessarily has a scripture verse for it but there's a principle that can apply to it correct okay so uh we say if it's not in the bible it ain't god that's true to extent again as i would say if it's not biblical however uh that doesn't mean that you know everything that's in the Bible. The word revelation doesn't mean outside of the Bible understanding or seeing something. It can mean basically seeing something you never saw before, but actually the word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalyptos, and what that means is to remove the veil. So when you remove the veil, you're not seeing something that was never there. You're just now all of a sudden able to see something that was always there. You just couldn't see it, right? I was, uh, I was with uh, Gary, and uh, we were driving, uh, got my truck working, and James uh, asked me to drive the truck, and so I'm driving it. And Gary said, got a little yellow light on there for you. 
uh, that's going on over there. I said, that's not yellow, that's red. He goes, yeah, I'm colorblind. <laughs> and I began to realize, you know, how many things that are red he's never seen before. But if he were to put on those glasses that cure colorblindness, you, you ever seen those on, right? I'm not offending you by talking about this. Okay, so, but if you were to put on those, I'm talking about it anyway, so you'll have to forgive me. So, anyway, if you were to put on those glasses, then all of a sudden you see something you thought you saw, but you never really saw before. It was always there, you just never saw it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's really what we're talking about. So in our text, Paul is actually using the Hebrew Scriptures because they didn't have a New Testament at the time. He was using the Hebrew Scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, which uh, um, uh, the Jewish opponents were also using. And he was using them to refute a mindset that the Jewish people had, which they actually picked up in their interpretation of Scripture. He is bringing out truths that we take for granted, but which the people of his day were struggling to embrace, if not rejecting entirely. Now, before we look at this idea a little more, let me reinforce that Paul is preaching this revelation uh, to the Jews everywhere he goes, and it's striking a blow to their way of seeing life. It's requiring that they stress their way of thinking, but they're so rigid in their perceptions, many of them, not all of them, uh, that, they that many of them refuse to accept it, and instead of embracing it, they attack Paul as a false teacher. Interesting enough, it's the very thing Paul was doing when he was confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus being the Messiah or the Christ or the, the, the one who is to come. Acts 8 and 1 and 3, Paul was consenting to Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now you have to realize Paul was a good Jew. In fact, if you read his account, it might be later on, he says of himself, I was far beyond my compatriots in my pursuit of God. Right? So when he was persecuting the church, the church never considered them to be outside of, 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 uh, of, of uh, Christian, I mean, outside of uh, uh, the people of God. They never considered, they, they, they all believed in the Messiah. They all believed in the Old Testament. They just believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But the Jewish people began to believe that that was a false teaching, that it was wrong. And Paul, in trying to be uh, a devout Jew, saw that as an error and he began as a as heretical and in his desire to serve God in his zeal he wanted to stamp it out and he began to persecute the church so uh, and then then what happened is he was on the road to Damascus and on the road to Damascus he received the revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus he began and on that road he was knocked off his horse saw a great light and then after that incident he, he had an experience with God and the very faith that he was persecuting, now he turned around, he saw that Jesus, the one he thought was a false Messiah, was indeed the true Messiah, the one that he should have been uh, looking for, the one that he should have been serving, he was persecuting and God uh, revealed himself to him and now the faith that he previously began was, uh, was persecuting, now he began to preach. And when he began to preach this Jesus, just like 
when others were preaching Jesus as the Messiah, it got him, Paul, in trouble and caused him great sufferings also at the hands of his contemporaries, the Jewish people. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty two. 22, I brought it out before. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Now, in that, he says, are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Now, they would have wanted to say, no, you're not, because you're not in covenant with God, because what you're embracing is a heresy. But he goes on to say, no, I am of the seed of Abraham. Now, why does he use Abraham to, as a foundation to prove the legitimacy of the gospel that he preached? And again, it's legitimate whether they believe it or not. He's just trying to show them from Scripture it's in there. So why is he using Abraham? Because Abraham was revered by the Jews as their father and his life and character were held up as models of God's way with his people and what it meant to be truly pious. Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. Some quotes from some Jewish literature. Abraham did not sin against thee. No one has been found like him in glory. In first century Judaism, Abraham was held up particularly as a model of obedience to God. His righteousness and meditation of the promise were linked to his obedience. It even being argued that he had obeyed the law perfectly before the law had ever been given. This is how the Jews interpreted Abraham, their father, his life was the reason that he was righteous is because he obeyed the law and he obeyed it perfectly, right? So through Paul's interpretation of Genesis 15 and 6, Abraham is pulled from the Jews as a, the model example of obedience to the law and shown by Paul that in reality he is a model of what it means to be uh, uh, to be declared righteous by faith. As a result, Abraham ceases to be for Paul the fathers of the Jews only, but he is the father of all, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter, of all who will believe. And what he's going to show you, just like Abraham was made righteous through faith, not through works, he was made righteous through faith. The Jews are going, <gasps> and he's going to prove it to them. What I'm wanting to show you through our text is not so much the truth that Paul is revealing, although that is amazing and hopefully the subject for another time, but the focus for today is how Paul was bringing out truths to people who had previously read this scripture many times, but were so entrenched in their interpretation, they were rejecting Jesus, they were rejecting the gospel that Paul was bringing to them, and, and, and so opposed to that, that they even uh, tried to, to, uh, to, to crucify, if, uh, if, use that word for lack of a better, to kill Paul because they considered him to be a heretical teacher, even though everything he's bringing is scriptural. Remember the example I used of the disciples' reaction to Jesus on the water? Matthew 14, 25-33, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. So, was it a ghost? No. Who was it? It was Jesus. Why were they reacting that way to Jesus? Because they've never seen that before. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, when I see something that I've never seen before, I often, like the disciples, we often are 
capable and often probably do react the same way. That ain't God. Why? Because it's, I've never experienced it before. Well, without realizing it, we're making what happens, we're like, we're, we become like God because we determine what's right and wrong based on our experiences, based on the way we grew up, based on the way we did life, never forgetting the fact that we're wearing lenses. I, I remember I had, I had these, uh, these lenses, and I think they were yellow. I, I liked them a lot. They block out the, they were yellow, but they were, they were really good lenses. And um, I was driving, I said, man, look at the way everything looks. And, and I'm looking, I said, isn't it pretty, and all that kind of stuff, and not realizing, you know, that it was, it was nice, it was pretty, it was sharp, but I forgot that I was wearing glasses. And when I took, I went, oh, wait a minute. I lifted my glasses up, it was still pretty, but it was a different color. It wasn't what I thought it was. It was different. My glasses were coloring my perceptions of what I was seeing. And if we forget that we all wear glasses, then we don't have that thing inside of us. Or if we don't recognize it or we forget, it's real easy to say, well, I thank God, instead of thinking, well, it doesn't feel comfortable to me. There's something about it, like Jesus on the water, you know. But when they waited around long enough and they began to hear his voice, they realized it was God. It's just they've never experienced that before. They've never seen that before. What do you think that did to their perceptions of who Jesus was and what Jesus could do? I believe it changed it immensely, didn't it? Who is this man? Who is this that even walk on the water, you know? And when we allow God to begin to work in our lives, sometimes he'll do it through things that he does, but sometimes he'll do it through the scripture, but it'll always be backed by scripture, but he'll do it through by giving you a new perception of scripture, and oftentimes if we don't remain teachable, like I told you before, then the things that he wants to show us, we reject because it doesn't match what we already knew. Isn't, isn't that ridiculous? In order for something to be true for us, it has to match what I already knew. Well, how do you ever learn? How do you ever learn if you, don't, if you aren't willing to be teachable? It has to match what I already know. Like the disciples' reaction to this new thing, our traditional ways of understanding and interpreting Scripture can become to us like an old wineskin. Now, now do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying to abandon scripture. I'm saying I believe that God, and I've learned, I've seen it, I go through it. Every time I go through this word, God shows me a little something, a little more, a little something different because I remain teachable. Oh, I never saw that before. That's awesome. Ooh, what does that mean? You know, that's great. Like, uh, I'll even talk about this morning. I wasn't planning on doing this, but this morning I was talking about, I was reading in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And how many of you know 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is talking about communion, right? Now, how many of y'all have ever read that, and you get to that part where it says, and I'll go ahead and go there, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Yes, I have to go through that to get there. <laughs> this is not in the message, by the way. I'm just kind of ad-libbing here. I'm going on a rabbit trail. 
So there, how many of y'all ever got to the scripture where it says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Now there's a lot of different ways of interpreting that. One of the ways is that, man, I'm not right with God. If I take this, I could die. True? Another way of, of uh, interpreting that, which is, uh, I've, I've seen that before too, is if we really understood what the bread and the cup was, we could be healed, you know, if we, if we understood the implications of communion. That's another way of interpreting that, right? But this morning, I began to realize that all of this is in the context of self-centeredness and love. And what was happening in this scenario is uh, because the, the people that were poor had to work from dawn to dusk, and the people that didn't have to work, or they had means, they were people of means, they didn't have to work from dawn to dusk, they may not even have to work at all, they were wealthy people. When they gathered for communion, it wasn't like we're going to have communion at 3 o'clock, it was like we're going to have communion today. The people that were already there, they didn't do communion like we do, where they have these little cups that you're, oh, I hope I can get it open, oh, sorry. They didn't have that. They actually ate a meal. They prepared a meal. Now, how many of you know we like to eat here and we prepare meals? Now, it may not be your concern, but it's the concern of the people in the kitchen. Do we have enough? Right? How many people we got here? 50, 60, 70 people? You know? So how many people we got there? 50, 60, 70 people? Okay, I think we're going to have enough. We're going to do whatever the case may be. But in that particular scenario, um, they didn't ever know how many people were coming, and so they would prepare a meal, and the people that were there first were the wealthy people. And let's say it's 3, 4 o'clock. And so back then, they didn't take grape juice. They drank wine. They ate the meal, and what would happen is that since they were there, they were hungry, they'd go in and get ahead and eat the meal, and then when the, when, the, when the people that had to work all day, they were slaves or whatever, they had to come, they went to church, there was no more meal because it had already been eaten, and the people were there, and they were not only eaten, but they were inebriated while they were there. And the whole context of this scripture was, <clears throat> it's not about what you can do, it's about what's best for the other person, right? And this attitude of self-centeredness is what crucified the Lord, right? And when you behave this way, you're not behaving like Christians, you're behaving like the world, and it was the world that crucified the Lord. And he said, and because you're behaving like that, now this is a different way of interpreting, it's what I saw this morning, I could go through it again and see something else, what I saw this morning, because you're behaving like that, and you have self-centered, selfish attitudes, you have people in the body, which is your body, that are weak and sick and dying. Why? Not because of how you drank the communion and ate the communion, but because of how you treat your brother and sister. You don't take care of them. You're not concerned for them. You're not looking out for their welfare. Why? Because you're only concerned about you. But if you were concerned for their welfare, and all of that is reflected, that attitude is what he's dealing with and how you're taking this communion. Different way of interpreting it, right? 
Now, if you're not open to seeing something a little different, it's in Scripture. To me, it's validated by Scripture. It's in the context of Scripture. I saw something I've never seen before, but if you're like, nah, that's not what it means. Right? We're not saying it can't mean this. We're not saying it can't mean that. We're not saying it can't mean this. All I'm saying is that it also means this. But if I'm not open to that, then I might lose something that God wants to reveal to me that can help me in my Christian walk and can help us as a church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, in order to hear what God is saying through His Word, we must remain open to learn something new. By doing so effectively, we're like fresh, pliable wineskins. If we ever get to the place where we believe we are learned, not learners, then we're no longer in a position to learn, and we're like rigid wineskins, unable to receive the fresh truths of God. Our text in Romans is not the only time Paul used the very scriptures the Jewish people uh, interpreted as foundational to their beliefs to show from them something they had not seen, and in so doing, try and bring a new understanding of God's purposes in Christ into focus. In the book of Romans, same book, Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, it says, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are Israel, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called, that is, those who are the children of flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So what he's trying to tell them is it's not, you think that you're in covenant, the way you read Old Testament scripture, you think you're in covenant because you're of the flesh of Abraham. And he's saying, and taking that very same scripture, other scriptures, and he's saying it's not the children of the flesh, it's the children of the promise. No. But he's, what he's trying to do is he's trying to bring out the truth of what God, what God did in Christ and what God is doing through scripture, but in order to see it, he's trying to remove their old lenses. Right? Romans 9, 25-33. As he also says in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who were not my beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish their, the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What then shall we say that Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they, not, they did not seek it by faith, but as, that, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to, to shame. So basically, Paul is turning to all the scriptures that they understood. We are children of Abraham, because we're descended from Abraham. Our genealogy is this. We are part of the people of God. Abraham is saying, those aren't people of Abraham. The people of Abraham are the ones who believe like Abraham. In fact, because you're so uh, committed to being righteous through your works, you've actually rejected God's offer of salvation through faith in Christ. Using the very same scriptures they used, He's trying to show them something 
to bring them to a place of salvation and liberty. And that's what God wants to do in all that. But in order for that to happen, we have to be open to see it. We have to be open to let God show us things we don't already know. I remember uh, when I was in, uh, going to Bible school, uh, I got saved, and I had such a zeal for God. I had such a zeal for God. Um, I wanted to do everything right. And so I became, without realizing it, I, you know, when you're walking this way with the Lord, there's, there's two ditches on every side, <laughs> you know? You can fall into one ditch, and usually what happens, we're going along, I've got this truck, and, and it kind of steers like this. I got it going, it kind of steers like this. And, you know, if you're not careful, you know, you might find yourself in a ditch on one side. So if you overcorrect, though, you're going to find yourself on a ditch on the other side. So what are the ditches? Sometimes it's, uh, I'm saved, it doesn't matter what I do, Right? What's the other ditch? Well, another ditch is, uh, man, everything about my salvation depends on what I do. So one is uh, all about uh, grace, and because I'm in grace, and Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 6, uh, it doesn't matter if I sin or what I do in my body, it doesn't really matter, I'm saved by grace. The other side is called legalism, right? And that's what I fell into, legalism. Got to do everything just right, got to be the best. But it wasn't just that I was becoming legalistic, I was making other people around me in order to serve Christ. I was making them legalists because this is how you serve God. You be the best you can be. You know, I was a Marine, never got into the Marine. Be the best you can be. Is it the Marines? Yeah. <laughs> so I was trying to do that with God, and I, I became so legalistic that I became bound. But I, in my zeal, I thought I was serving God to the best of my ability, but I actually fell into a ditch, and I was reading the book of Galatians, and I was in Galatians chapter 5, and I guess my uh, Anna, she, my, my girlfriend, may have been my fiance at the time, but anyway, she was praying for me, other people were praying for me, and as I was reading scripture, it's like the Holy Spirit went, whoosh, and he said, it is for freedom that you've been set free. And all of a sudden, I recognized the error of my ways. And I wasn't upset. I was repentant, but I wasn't upset. I was like, thank you, God, for showing me. But if I hadn't been open to seeing that in Scripture, I'd read Galatians many times before, but for some reason, this time, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes, and I saw something I'd never seen before. Another example I can give you is in Romans chapter, uh, same chapter, Romans chapter 4. Uh, in Romans chapter 4, it says, uh, talking about Abraham, um, let's see, run down here to, let's start in verse 18. Who, uh, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now, I've always read that as he didn't waver at the promises of God by going into unbelief. And to me, it was always like, again, he was the model of perfection, never doubted, always believed God, did everything right. I was preaching on that. I had a whole sermon preached on it. I'm just like here, I'm preaching on that text, and I can't explain to you how God did it. All I know is that in an instant, poof, I saw something I'd never seen before. I didn't stop. It was, like, it was like time stopped. And God showed me something I've never seen before. And it was scriptural. I just never saw it. 
and there was a, there's a translation I was reading. It says, Abraham wavered not through unbelief. Okay, and so what did that mean? It's kind of like God gave me a picture. It's like, it's not that Abraham never doubted. Abraham was encompassed by doubt. I like to put it this way. When he was walking through the land of Israel, you had the Hittites, you had the Canaanites, you had the Perizzites, and then you had the Unbelievites. That's not in the Bible, but I'm just telling you. This is the way I understood it. And he had walked through certain land, and when he was walking through the land of Unbelievites, guess what he's hearing? What do Unbelievites speak? Unbelief. And he's just hearing over and over again. This is the picture that God gave me in my mind. And it's scriptural. It's just a different way of looking at it. And he wavered not through unbelief. So it's not he wavered not by not being in unbelief or never thinking unbelief, but always what? No, he wavered not even in the middle of being encompassed by unbelief. What does it mean? While he was hearing unbelief, while he's experiencing unbelief, he just kept walking because that's what God told him to do. He didn't quit, didn't turn around, didn't go back home. God said, keep on walking, and that's what it means. But by he wavered not through own belief, but he grew strong, I think it says, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, got, when I had that understanding, it made Abraham like me. Not that I'm Abraham, I'm just saying human like me because I I try to believe God for things but I find myself going through doubt I find myself thinking unbelief I find myself struggling in these life uh, the area of life and I'm thinking like if I can only if I can only not have unbelief I can only not have doubt and I I could just confess and believe and, and never go into doubt but I realize that that's that's not me I go through these things I battle through these things so what does it mean to have faith what it means to have faith is that in the middle of it when you're going through it you keep moving you don't quit. Oh. You mean I can have a battle and still be a person of faith? Yeah. In fact, that's what it means to have faith, is to keep believing God, to keep walking, to keep trusting, even when everything around you tells you not to. Kenneth Hagin would say, you can have faith in your heart and unbelief in your head. I like that. It makes sense to me. It makes sense to me because of what God showed me in that scripture. Now, some of you are going, well, i never seen that, so that ain't God. Well, <laughs> all I'm trying to tell you is that if you're open to it, God can oftentimes show you things that you may have read hundreds of times, but he shows you a little bit differently with some different nuance. I could show you something else tonight, but uh, I think I need to finish. So, Galatians 1 and 11 uh, Paul says to the, to, to the Galatians, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor as I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I guess my, my purpose in sharing this with you is for you to realize is that uh, Paul was not sharing with them something that he made up. He was not sharing them something that wasn't biblical because the Bible says that when Jesus was walking with the two people on the road, uh, 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 what was the name of that road, uh, on the way, can't remember, the road to Emmaus, he was preaching a, a message to them about the Christ and he was using scriptures and he began all throughout the scriptures, he showed them that scriptures all talked about Jesus and what he was going to do, the Messiah. 
right? So basically, that's what Paul's saying. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. When I'm preaching to you, I didn't make it up. God showed it to me. Uh, but, but how are we supposed to respond whenever God shows us something in Scripture? In Acts 17, 1 through 5, when he had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of Jews, and what Paul, as was his custom, went into them for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining to them and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. See, that's another problem the Jewish had. They had in their mindsets that the Messiah was going to come, but the Messiah wasn't going to look like Jesus. The Messiah was going to look like a conqueror. He was going to come, and he was going to take the Jews, and he was going to uh, defeat all their enemies. He was going to be a military conquering hero. He definitely wasn't going to be a babe born in a manger. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He definitely wasn't going to be a carpenter from Nazareth. And so it kind of blew, but he's showing them from scriptures that even scripture says he was going to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is a Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering them all, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is that, is that oftentimes that'll happen, is that you preach something from scripture some people will embrace it and the other people will not embrace it they'll either leave or they'll begin to attack that ain't God which one do we want to be how would God expect us to respond everywhere Paul went he was afflicted first of all I think recognize that there are many things that we do not know regardless of how long we've been a Christian or how much we've learned John 16, 12 through 13, I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them. you cannot bear them now. So in other words, there are some things that God wants to share with you, but he can't share with you because of our immaturity. I remember when I had the same truck, and I had my little daughter, Rachel. I only had one kid. I sold it because I had two kids. <laughs> I had my wife, two kids. It's a single cab. Can't have a truck. So anyway, I had my daughter, and she would go, nah, 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 nah. And we would talk to each other. She couldn't talk words, but she would go, ah, and I'd go, ah. We were just kind of, you know, kind of going back, like we were having a conversation. She was doing her baby talk, and I was going, hey, you know, just kind of with her. And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder what's going on in her head. I can't wait till she gets older, and I can hear what's going on in her head. But I guess looking back on it, too, is I can't wait till she gets older, and I can share with her what's going on in mine right and I think there are some things you can't share with children that maybe you can share when they get older there are some things that God wants to share with us that we're not children but we might be children in the faith that until we get to a certain point we may not be able to bear them and so he waits till we get to a point where he can share them with us unfortunately some of us may never get to that point where he can share those things with us because we remain immature in our faith none of y'all just people that are listening online, okay? So second, we uh, oh, actually John 16, 12 through 13, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you. He's not going to say he's going to tell you all at one time, but he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Second, we must be sensitive to the spirit's work. 
Luke 24, 32. They came and said to one another, Did not our heart burn with a, within us while he, Jesus, talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? The Spirit of God was confirming what he was saying. Third, we must study the scriptures with an open heart to see if what we are hearing may indeed be something God is showing to us. Don't just embrace anything somebody tells you. Don't just embrace what I tell you. Go to the scriptures and study them and say, God, is this true? Acts 7, 10 through 12, when they arrived, Paul and Silas, they went into the synagogue of the Jews, and these Jewish people were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed. They didn't believe just because Paul said it. They believed, they heard what Paul said, went to the scriptures, studied it for themselves, and said, yep, you're right. That's what we're supposed to do. So how do we end this? What's the purpose? May we, may, may, may we always be aware that if we're not careful, we, like old wineskins, can develop set ways of seeing and reading and interpreting Scripture, and in so doing, we can often become rigid in our ways. When that happens, those set ways can often become strongholds that prevent us from allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal to us things He wants to show us, in harmony with Scripture, of course, that we may have never seen before. My, my hope is that all of this is that we realize, I don't know it all. I don't know all there is in Scripture. I read it, but I don't know all there is. Lord, please show me things that you want me to know. Jeremiah 33 and 3, the Scripture's very uh, pertinent. It says, call upon me, and I will answer you and show you great and mysterious things that you do not know. Lord, show me what I don't know. Right? I don't know what I don't know. So show me, first of all, that I don't know, and then show me the things that I don't know that I don't know, so that I may ask you, so that I may know the things that I don't know, and then I can know what they are. No, no, no. No, just kidding. <laughs> all right, that's all I got for tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths in your word. I pray that we would always be tenderhearted. We would always be opening the working of your spirit, that you would show us and teach us, reveal to us things that we do not know. And when you show us these things, Father God, they're never for our detriment. They're always for our benefit. We would always be tenderhearted. We would receive what you're saying as truth, and we would learn from them and glean from them and, and implement them into our lives that we might become ultimately more like you, because that's your desired purpose for our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious toward you. Turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.